Time is now 6 p.m. I'm going to open the Vacaville City Council meeting into order. And we have a roll call, please. Council Agency Authority Member Sullivan? Here. Richie? Here. Silva? Here. Roberts? Here. Wiley? Here. Vice Mayor, Vice Chair Stockton? Here. Mayor Chair Roulette? I am here. If you can, please rise with me for a moment of silence. Vice Mayor Stockton, please lead us pledge. pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Okay, item three, approval agenda, Mr. City Manager. Are we good with the agenda or do we have any? There are no changes tonight. Thank you very much. I'll entertain motion. Thank you. I have a motion to second. All those in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Unanimous approval of the minutes. I'll entertain motion. Thank you. Thank you. All those in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Unanimous. Presentations? I see none. Consent calendar. Anybody from the council want to pull anything off the consent calendar? I see none. Anybody from the public that wants to pull something off the consent calendar? Just a second, I know you want to speak. Okay, seeing none, I'll entertain motion for consent. Thank you. Thank you. All those in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Unanimous. We will move to item seven. This is business from the floor. This is time to address the city council with issues that are not on this agenda, but are within the council subject matter jurisdiction. And your mic is hot. How are you today? Oh, it is? Okay. I'm good. How good. are you? <laughs> Fantastic. I'm All glad right. everyone's here. Okay. Welcome. Uh, good evening, Council. My name is Sarah Rossi, and I am from Troop 191. I'm here to present about my Eagle project that I wish to do. I will be, it is like of the essence for me to do this due to me aging out soon. The Eagle project has been titled Beautifying Andrews Park. The purpose of this Eagle project is to do a painting project on one electrical boxes towards the entrance into the creek area by Andrews Park. Now I understand that there are some, sorry, I don't know how to explain this. Okay. I, I understand that there are some worries about this. But the reason why I'm doing this project is to allow Vacaville and to connect with the community, especially the younger generation through this project in art. I've also sent out a Google form with my high school as an example, asking young high school students if they wish to move forward with this and what their opinion is. Through this Google form, I have found out that half my high school, the 50-50, wish to do a floral theme or an agriculture theme and do wish to be a part of this. Through this process of the Eagle Project, I will pick one high school student with the Vacaville Council also unifying which painting. I have chosen all the art classes in my high school and they will be commissioning a piece. And the student that gets picked will come with me and my troop to paint on this electrical box. This is very, very important to me because I am so excited to try and do this because throughout looking into other cities, I've seen examples of Davis, Dixon, Fairfield, and Sacramento and San Francisco that use electrical boxes as a piece for people to express themselves 
and to also connect with the community. I think this would be amazing for Vacaville to do that, especially with the younger generation, younger generation now, and mostly to help with the graffiti issues that we do have in Andrews Park. Because I have investigated through Andrews Park and I have seen many uh, swear words, some things that are, aren't the greatest to be painting on our bridge. <laughs> and I think it would really help people like turn an eye to the graffiti and look more towards the beautiful art that also will be going towards the creek. Because the electrical box that I have chosen is at the entrance that goes down to the creek area and it would be just a great view of when they go down to our beautiful creek, they see this mural that our younger generation has painted themselves. Thank you. Fantastic, yes, I uh, received a phone call from Council Member Silva today, and I think it's fantastic. We're gonna make it happen. I know you're on a timeline. We will yes. try to figure it out for you, and thank you very much for coming down. It's tough to stay on there, <laughs> but you did a fantastic job. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Absolutely. Seeing no one else, I'm gonna close public comment and we will move to item eight, public hearings. Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the City Council. This first item before you tonight is to receive the report and hold a public hearing regarding our triennial water system report on public health goals. Justin Cole, our acting uh, utilities director and Mindy Bowl from our utilities department are here to make a presentation for the council. Uh, good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, Council Members, uh, Justin Cole, the uh, Acting Utilities Director. I'm joined uh, down here by Mindy Boley, the Utilities Water Quality Manager, and she's going to give a uh, brief presentation on the Water Systems Report on Public Health Goals. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, council members, members of the community. Um, as Justin said, I am here to present on the uh, triennial report for water quality relative to public health goals. Um, a little background on this um, requirement is that the city is required to present our water quality report every year. It gets posted online, it gets sent out to uh, any resident that asks for it, posted in public places, and that is for the water quality that is just every year. Every three years, um, as required by the State of California Drinking Water Act, we have to present on public health goals. So public health goals are different than our water standards. Um, one thing I want to point out is that even though we do have exceedances to public health goals, I'll go over that tonight, we are in compliance with all federal and state standards and regulations for our drinking water quality. So there are no violations that we are reporting on. Um, what we're doing here is goals. On the right side of this graph, you can see that the public health goals are determined by the Office of Environmental Health and Hazard Assessment. They are the goals that people want to have absolutely zero risk to any health for a contaminant. They do not take into account what a test can test for, so they can set a limit of zero that no analysis can actually test down to zero. They do not consider how much money it would require to do the treatment process to try to clean the water out. That 
does not factor into setting these goals. They are the pie in the sky lofty goals that would be everybody's dream to have water this pristine. What we are enforced to is the standard on the left side of the chart up there. Those goals actually do take into account what is causing health risk at a level that is safe to drink, but there is still a little bit of the contaminant in the water. It takes into account what is a reasonable expense. Um, these are the standards that we test for on a continuous basis, daily, monthly, yearly. We have to send reports off to the state every month for our drinking water standards, every year for different things. Um, for the goals, the only requirement is that we keep track of them in a three-year period and we report to council every three years to, you know, to the public to say, this is what we've had. So for the last three years, for 2019, 2020, and 2021, we have had two violations or exceedances of public health goals. Um, they're not violations, I, wrong word to use there, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> they just are exceedances. Um, as you can see, we had for arsenic and for gross alpha particle activity. Um, the arsenic we test annually, so we did have exceedances in all three years. The gross alpha particle activity, we actually only test every nine years. So it comes up and it's because the level is so low that the state does not determine it to be a health risk, but we tested every nine years and it did come up in 2020 that we tested it. So that is why that one is on there for an exceedance. You can see the state standards are that middle column for the state DLR and the state NCL that we, or that we um, have to keep within. We have not violated any of the state levels. Um, and so we are just over the public health goal that is listed on those. Um, as you can see, the MCLs were not exceeded. We're still within standard. For both contaminants, one of the requirements of presenting this is to let you guys know what would be the cause of these contaminants and then what would be the cost if the city decided we wanted to fully try to clean these up out of our water system. Um, the levels that we have here for our average results, for our high results, those are all within naturally occurring levels in groundwater and surface water. So there was no contaminant, there was no spill within the city, anything that is causing us to have these levels. Um, the best, I'm trying to think about the, um, the best available treatment um, to try to remove these would be reverse osmosis. To use a reverse osmosis system on every bit of water that we produce, which we have averaged 5.7 billion gallons of drinking water over the last three years. So if we were to treat all of that water with reverse osmosis, we would be spending anywhere from 11 and a half to $45.8 million a year to try to get down to levels that we really can't even test to. So in conclusion, uh, you know, we really, do not recommend adding treatment. Um, the report is really just to inform the public that, you know, we do exceed the public health goals. It's not a threat to the day, you know, to the health of the public that's drinking our water. We meet all of our standards from the state and the federal government. Um, 
So we really, there's no formal action required of the council just for you guys to I, let me present. I appreciate it. Uh, there's been a lot, well, social media, it's a blessing sometimes, but it's also a curse most of the time. A lot of people get on there and find reports and say a lot of things. So I appreciate you coming down and letting the public know our water's safe. So thank you very much. I'm gonna open up public comment on this item. Seeing none, I'm gonna bring it back to the council. If anybody has a comment, if not, we'll move on and I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mr. City Manager, we'll move on to item 9A. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the council. This next item is a resolution for the purchase of two pieces of fire protection equipment for the Lagoon Valley Development Project. Your fire chief, Chris Conception, is here to make a presentation. Good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, Council Members. I'm gonna to try to be brief tonight. Uh, before you, the item that before you today is uh, to give um, authorization for the fire department to uh, place an order for two pieces of apparatus, a type one fire engine and a type five fire engine for station 76 that's gonna go in uh, Lagoon Valley. Um, as far as the uh, Lagoon Valley development is concerned, uh, the developer's goal right now is to have uh, first occupancy of the houses um, by third quarter of 2023. So we're really only a year out from that right now. Unfortunately, uh, it, um, fire apparatus is taking much, much longer to build. So we have to, we're already behind the eight ball. And we have to place the order as quickly. We should have placed the order quite a bit ago, but. Um, it used to only take about nine months to build a type one fire engine. Right now it's taking um, almost two and a half years. So um, the, the delivery times of these types of equipment, I keep going out um, more and more. So out at that end, and um, as far as the development is concerned, the agreement calls for the staffing of a fire, a temporary, it's gonna be a temporary fire station upon first occupancy of the first uh, homes in that area. So uh, that's when we have to have it staffed. Um, so as I mentioned, there's gonna be two pieces of equipment out there, a type one fire engine um, pictured there. It's a structural uh, firefighting engine. The estimated build time for that is two and a half years. They're quoting, um, it was um, about 28 months now, it's all the way up to 30 months um, and they're actually um, in talking with other fire chiefs, it's actually taking longer than that now. So uh, just give me an example of how much that time is ex um, ex extended. Uh, last year, we ordered a, uh, a type one fire engine, the one pictured here. Uh, we ordered it in February of um, 2021, and we were just able to put it into service last month. So. Um, it's taken 15, 16 months, and then it's even extended more out, out there. Um, as far as the, the contract cost for uh, that piece of apparatus, it's a little over a million dollars. That's what it's gonna cost. And then the other piece of apparatus that's gonna be out in uh, Lagoon Valley is a Skeeter Type 5 um, a wildland firefighting engine. It's a smaller piece of equipment, um, and that uh, takes about 21 months to, to build. Uh, from order time, and the estimated uh, price for that is uh, almost $341,000. As far as funding is concerned, uh, the uh, developer is gonna be responsible for uh, funding uh, these, these uh, pieces of equipment. 
Um, and, uh, and the amount that we're requesting is um, $1,361,542. Um, and uh, as I said, uh, the, uh, the developer will be funding it and, um, and they'll be paying for it and then it'll go into a special uh, revenue fund as far as, uh, as far as the city is concerned. And that completes my presentation. I'd be happy to what answer What a great questions. name for a truck, Skeeter. Skeeter, I like exactly. It. I'd like to get a few of those. Yeah. I'm gonna open up public comment. Seeing no one for public comment, I'm gonna close it and bring it back to the council for motion. Sure. Mr. Um, not directly to this item, but uh, do we need to, <clears throat> is there, uh, will the CFD cover additional necessary equipment to keep the firefighters safe and serve the public? Um, and are we looking at ordering that equipment to supply that fire station now? That or, that equipment will be ordered. So the, the agreement calls for, it was uh, the original developer agreement cost for a uh, million dollars to equip that equipment. And that's been escalated with the, you know, the adjusters and that's at uh, almost $1.7 million right now. So that's what this $1.4 million will come out of. And then the rest of that um, money will be used to buy the rest of the equipment that's necessary for that fire station. Thank you. Councilmember Ritchie. Sorry, I just wanted to, so thanks so much, uh, Chief. Um, I, I wanna make sure as a kid share a story. My, uh, we were all at the California League of Cities this last week and um, myself and Silva had the opportunity to get pulled aside by um, the manager of government affairs for Genentech. And he saw my name badge, pretty easy to find in a crowd, pretty big. And so he just shared a story about the Backlow Fire Fire Department and what you guys did at the Genentech fire. And he just had raving reviews about the way you guys responded, the way the crew just, just took care of it. He said, they were like machines. He says, great, the training, the skill they had, they operated like clockwork. And so me and Mike had a long conversation about other things to go, but when it came back to this item about training and having the right tools, the job, it's he couldn't he could emphasize how important that is for all of the biotech development to use what you guys did at Genentech as a example and role model how to respond in, a, in a, such a professional and manner with the right tools to get the job done. Um, so this seems so fitting that we had this long conversation, but that's a short version. My voice is good. But I just, want, I just want to share that with the, the crowd. Having the right tools and, and training, it just, it worked real well. And a small fire could have been a big problem. And you guys did were amazing. Thank you for sharing that story. That's a great story. Uh, Council members, oh, excuse me, Vice Mayor Stockton. Uh, great presentation, excited about another fire station. Uh, will this fire station also have ambulance services at some point? It, uh, right now, no, it'll be staffed with, uh, so these two pieces of equipment uh, will be cross-staffed with a staff of three every day. Okay, and then yeah. this question is probably for staff, but since it came up related to the development agreement, will they, are there also funds being provided to cover um, law enforcement um, expenses like uh, cars or officers to assist with the additional patrol of that area? Absolutely. In accordance with the obligations agreement between the city and the developer, this project is fully supporting all needed services and infrastructure. Okay. Thank you. Council Member Roberts. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I know you said the time from uh, order to build was what, 30 months or so, and they're supposed to have coverage by the first occupancy. What's the plan for coverage between first occupancy and the 
actually deliver these new engines, or you have to shift services over that way? So the, the contingency plan right now is, um, and been, we've been talking, I've been talking with the city manager about this, and obviously the, the equipment is not coming yeah. um, soon enough, but uh, we do have some reserve equipment, so that'd be option A, is um, to use the reserve fire, you know, a reserve fire engine um, and place it in service um, in Lagoon Valley. Um, and then another possibility is we have um, some uh, type three, we have three type three uh, wildland firefighting engines that we could move from one of the um, existing stations and move it there in the interim until these pieces of equipment come into place. And then um, if neither one of those options work, then I'm gonna have to look at renting a vehicle, but uh, I, I hope we don't have to do that. Okay, thank you. Council member Wiley. Thanks for the information on the present, the paperwork, it said a Sacramento company. So where is it actually being built? Um, the uh, the uh, the type one firefighting engine is is uh, is manufactured by Pierce and that's uh, built in Appleton, Wisconsin. So is that pretty much the only game in town? There's probably not too many people that do fire engines. There are not very many. Um, I think Pierce has about, uh, they ha I know they have more than 50% of the market share right now. Um, and uh, I don't know what the exact market share they have, but just about every fire department in the United States uses Pierce equipment. Great, thanks. I'll entertain motion. I'll make a motion. Yeah, motion and second, all those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you very much, Chief. Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the council. Um, as you know, this year we've been spending a lot of time on the subject of housing, um, both in our housing strategy and the housing forthcoming housing element. Um, there's also been a lot of discussion about some new legislation that's coming out related to housing. And so given that we are moving forward with more housing projects, we felt it would be appropriate to share a presentation that our community development director, Ms. Erin Morris, presented uh, to the Planning Commission that we share that tonight with you regarding the Housing Accountability Act. So with that, I'll turn it over to Ms. Morris to give you that presentation. Thank you, Marulette and members of council. I'm gonna go through this presentation fairly quickly, and if you have questions, I'm happy to answer them. Uh, so this training is about the Housing Accountability Act, otherwise known as SB 330. Uh, this act has actually been around since the 1980s, but in the last few years, in recognition of the housing crisis that the state of California faces, the law was changed to make it more and more um, tough to not approve housing projects. And that is the gist of it. The state wants the cities to approve housing projects. So in establishing the a revised act, the state found that the lack of housing is a critical problem that really threatens our quality of life in California at all levels. Um, that it leads to discrimination against certain types of households, um, really stymies employment growth, that the jobs housing balance or imbalance really threatens a lot of the things we wanna do in our state, and et cetera, et cetera. There's just a lot of compelling reasons why uh, the Housing Accountability Act was given more teeth a couple years ago. Um, this was a figure I left in this presentation because I thought it was pretty staggering that the estimate is in the state of California, we have an unmet housing backlog of about 2 million units and that we would need to produce 180,000 units a year across the state in order to catch up. And we're not getting anywhere near that statewide. Homeownership is at an all-time low. We are now 49th out of the 50 states in our union. 
and only half of California's households can afford the cost of housing. And that the affordability is about spending, you know, more, no more than 30% of your income on housing. If you're spending more than that, you're not spending money on other things that are important to having a high quality life. So going on to the next slide, and I'll keep going through these quickly. Um, most renters in California and in our county pay more than 30% of their income toward rent. Uh, nearly one third in our state pay more than 50% of their income toward their rent. And the housing shortage creates a significant increase in greenhouse gas emissions. We do see that in our county with approximately 80% of workers coming from outside of our county and 80% you know, of our community leaving to go find work elsewhere. So um, what the revised act does is it limits local governments, cities and counties ability to deny or to reduce the density of what are considered qualifying housing development projects. And so the state law basically says if a qualifying housing development project meets the city's objective standards, provides the specified number of parking spaces, meets the setbacks, the height limits, and those kind of design standards that are not subjective, that essentially the city is obligated to approve the project. And the term housing development project is very broadly defined. And so essentially it, it really applies to any housing project that's more than one house on one lot. Um, people do have to go through a process to enact the act, and I'm gonna talk about that in a moment. But I just wanna make it clear that the law is very broad. It's intended to pick up all housing projects that would like to utilize it, and it does constrain uh, local government discretion. So this is the housing, def housing development project's definition. It's a land use consisting of residential units only, a mixed use development with residential and non-residential uses, and transitional or supportive housing. And this is why I, my conclusion is it's a very broad definition that encompasses literally all kinds of housing. So um, under the revised law, if a project meets the city's objective design standards, height, setback, um, density, that kind of thing, um, the city has to approve it and cannot reduce the density or um, fundamentally can provide conditions of approval that reduce what comes out of that project. If the city wishes to deny or reduce the density on a project, um, findings have to be made. And I summarize these very thinly because there's a lot of law behind this from the state when they issued their bulletin. But the city would have to find that the housing development project would have a specific adverse impact upon public health and safety and there's no way that there's no way to mitigate that effect. So I, I'm trying to think of examples. I, I haven't been able to find any in the state that have really risen to this, but perhaps if you were proposing housing on a site that was literally next to a contaminated site where you could say, hey, this site's contaminated and it might affect the, the, the um, new housing on the site next door. That was one example I came up with, but the bar is very high from the state um, in order for a city to be able to deny a housing project. So how the process works, and I will I recap this later, we have three applications that are currently being reviewed under the lens of the Housing Accountability Act, is in order to do this, a developer files a preliminary application, and once they do that, it locks in the development standards and rules and regulations at the time that they file the preliminary application for a period of 180 days. And as long as they come in and submit their formal application within 180 days, they are now um, under those um, fixed rules and regulations. And then once a development application comes in, the planning staff and other city departments review it for completeness based on a state checklist. You know, do they have a site plan, floor plans, elevations, whatever technical studies are needed, et cetera. Uh, we look for compliance with the objective design standards and zoning regulations. And once we have a complete application that complies with standards, we have to then go into the public hearing process um, during a very compressed timeframe. So um, there is a limit on the number of public hearings and meetings for these projects and a community meeting counts as one of the public hearings, even if it's sort of a meet the neighbors kind of thing. 
it is clearly count. And as I said, the city's discretionary review, ability to impose conditions, demand project changes is very limited if the project meets these objective standards. This little roadmap um, kind of shows how from preliminary submittal um, to project submittal, city has 30 days to deem the project complete or incomplete. If it's incomplete, they don't have the things on the checklist, the clock stops. Once they come back in though, um, if it's an exempt project, the city has 60 days to make a final decision and there's no exceptions to that time frame. Um, if, uh, if it's not exempt and it requires a mitigated negative declaration, you have 180 days to do the environmental review and then 60 days to final decision, no exceptions. And on the EIR side, once you again handle your um, environmental review, they give you a year to do that. Um, there's a 90 day limitation to final decision for certain projects, 60 days for others. So again, very limited um, and the clock starts when the project's ready to move forward. So I, we have three of these applications under review um, and they do follow different entitlement paths. One of them uh, went to planning commission that will come to you on appeal. Um, some of them will have to come to you anyways, the council making the final, de the, the final decision. And there could be cases where we get some that are under staff approval um, where they, um, they're just, they're small enough to meet that criteria. Uh, regarding this law, um, our, our team, we monitor the changes to state law. We're constantly looking to make sure the city's in compliance with these laws. Uh, this is something that I work on closely with Melinda and the city attorney's office. And as needed, we will make changes to the land use and development code, um, particularly as we start the new year and are doing some annual housing law changes. And at this point, um, I welcome your questions or comments. Thank you very much for the presentation. Actually, I'm pretty excited because uh, AB 2011, just went through the Senate and was passed, uh, also concurred by the assembly. Um, and it's gonna open up this housing crisis that we're in. Um, and it's going to change the way uh, California deals with housing. Exciting, it's Puppy Wicks bill. If you can, call the governor, tell him to sign it. Um, but it is, it's gonna change it. Uh, they're talking about hundreds of thousands of homes being built immediately with the new bill. And all these bills that they're trying to knock down all the roadblocks, I think it's exciting. I think it's exciting for the city of Vacaville. Uh, I'm gonna open up public comment. Seeing none, I'm gonna close public comment, bring it back to council member Sullivan. Uh, a couple quick questions. Can you tell us the three projects specifically that were in the hopper? I was afraid you were gonna ask that. Uh, Southtown Apartments, um, Vanden Cove, and um, recently we received one for North Village AP2. Uh, second question. Um, does, so oftentimes developers will try to get meetings with council members prior to hearings or public meetings and whatnot. Does that count as one of the public meetings? I don't believe so. Okay. And then my last question is what happens if we don't comply or we don't make the deadlines or we don't follow through on what we're supposed to do? Um, I'm gonna probably defer to Melinda a little bit on this. I think if that's, yes, great. Sure, yeah, we'd be sub subject to a legal action by the developer by um, a person that would be eligible to live in that housing. Um, and a court in that case could order the city to comply within 60 days. Uh, the court, depending on the violation, could order the project approved. Uh, and if there's is determined to be a bad faith uh, violation or denial, uh, there are fines up to $10,000 per uh, housing unit that was applied for. Um, and that's a minimum, minimum fine. So, and attorney fees if we were to lose. Uh, Vice Mayor Stockton. Yes, thank you for the presentation. While I uh, see a definite need for housing uh, throughout the state, I do have some concern over um, local control over what we build here. 
give me some hope. Like, what what do we have that um, can help us represent our citizens and protect communities from things going in that we don't want here? Um, this, uh, to answer your question bluntly, the state is gradually taking away local control over the approval of housing projects based on the housing crisis. Um, what I would say, um, and my advice as a community development director, is we need to be diligent in planning for housing <coughs> and figuring out where we want housing and encouraging people to build housing on those sites. That doesn't mean people won't want to build housing um, in places that community members are not excited about, but I would say with our housing element update and our other land planning activities, we should really focus on great sites for housing that we're, we feel excited about and we can actually advertise and, and share with people, um, recognizing that we don't have a lot of local control if someone wants to build something. So if, if a developer has an existing development agreement with the city, if they if that expires, does that um, allow them to access this, this new Senate bill action? Yeah, with or without a development agreement, a project can file under the Housing Accountability Act. And so what is to stop them from removing all of the parks, all of the amenities, all the great stuff that our kids love um, and then packing it with more houses. Is there is there any tool that we have for that, or is there any sort of regulations within this bill that say that for so much occupancy, they have to be there has to be so much parks and recreational activities or land set aside? I don't know. I don't, I don't know that the state envisions the Housing Accountability Act process to apply to like a large land plan. Um, it's more so far in our state been applied to specific sites, typically within the community. But back to your point, we couldn't as a city impose requirements that reduce the density of the housing. But part of the, the density of that site is really based on the general plan and the zoning. So if we set the table with appropriate general plan densities and zonings that enact that, this really tool just allows someone to build that without a lot of ability to say, say no to it on the part of the city. Okay, so it sounds like the only avenue that we have is to make sure that we're, we're very particular with our zoning on, on these housing projects. Um, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Silva. Okay, kind of along the lines of Councilmember or Vice Mayor Stockton, um, you know, particularly uh, the ratio of our housing with, with respect to our schools and how we best serve the growth, um, that's going to be a continued ongoing issue. So um, we're going to be looking forward to staff to advocate uh, to be mindful of that growth um, and come to us with. Uh, some strong recommendations of the zoning to make sure we plan for that growth. Uh, the parking issue uh, is a longer conversation, but um, I'm a little concerned about uh, how we would account parking on street parking. Uh, I know there's different cities out there that actually restrict, you know, I, I, I'm not advocating for this, wouldn't support it, but um, uh, as far as like preventing parking overnight, so that way they can make sure the streets are open. Streets look beautiful, they're clean, um, but when we're talking about parking numbers, I know that's always been something that's come up. Um, kind of curious to see how we can control that. So um, is there, do you have any more insight on the parking component, the ratio of parking to units being built? Thank you, thank you for that question. Um, as you said, most cities allow a certain amount of guest parking to be provided along the public street, recognizing that in most neighborhoods, guests park on the street and people park in their driveways. But um, we can look into that as we're processing projects right now. Our city, um, our zoning ordinance allows for um, a percentage of the, the parking spaces to occur on the public street. Um, but most projects, most apartment projects in particular, want to put them on site because they want to be able to manage them. So it's always kind of that balancing act um, as a project's being designed. 
But under the state law, we just really can say, this is the number of spaces you're required to have. And whatever our code says about how you can provide them, if they meet that requirement, we can't um, require anything further. All right, thank you. Council Member Ritchie. Thank you so much. Um, thanks for everything so much. I want to respond like Vice Mayor Stockton and Silva's comments in regards to, like, while I was reading this bill, I'm, ex I'm excited about housing too, to find a way to really catch up. We're in a bad situation, but as I was reading it, the, the loss of control it had to be a little worried, but then kind of digging into the details and realizing there's, there's, there's a few mechanisms that we still can control in the city of Vacaville. It's being very specific and really kind of get granular with the general plan, specific plan for the communities in Vacaville. So therefore, they could have a lot of leeway, but they have to stay and adhere inside the box of the general plan. They can't build something just, just totally out in left field if it doesn't even conform to the general plan, correct? Um, for a market rate project, they have to comply with the general plan density and zoning regulations. Affordable housing projects, deed restricted, can um, get considerable density bonuses as part of providing deed restricted affordable housing. Councilmember Wiley. Go into effect. Originally back in 1980, but more recently 2019, there was an up to pretty substantial update to the Housing Accountability Act and there was a tweak a year or two after that that made it more stringent. So since that time that it's become more stringent, have there been cities that have really been impacted or people that have been able to say, no, this didn't meet the needs. You said you were looking for cities like that and you couldn't find any examples, is that correct? I haven't found any examples. I will be attending the statewide planning conference in October and I imagine I'm gonna be going to several sessions about this, this these new laws and how they're playing out so I may have more information um, in the fall. All right, thanks. Council, I mean, excuse me, Vice Mayor Stockton. Sorry, I was looking for my note earlier when I got stuck at the end, but um, will we still be able to charge CFDs these developers um, that, that fall under this, these new exemptions? You know, that is a great question. Um, we believe we can if it's an established requirement and we'll, we're forging ahead with that position. Okay. And does this mean that if we are going to have to get, as, as uh, council member Rishi said, granular, or I don't know if it was you or him, granular with our zoning that we're essentially gonna have to design every aspect of our neighborhoods in order to make sure that they're building what we want. The objective design standards, height, setbacks, parking requirements, other things like that, we have those already. Um, I recently read a refresh on um, SB 330. It doesn't say that the city can't say, hey, we don't like this architectural style, we'd prefer a different style, or we prefer like the wall plane to move back if we have a requirement that they step back the top floor or whatever. But um, if we were to recraft our zoning to be so restrictive, it would prevent housing. I, I, I believe we would get in trouble with the state of California. Thank you very much for the presentation. And I'm just gonna say, I'm, I'm probably gonna say we a lot, and I'm not talking about the city of Vacaville, but you mentioned, and I heard you say, two million houses that we need. We're in a housing crisis, everybody knows it. The reason why we're in a housing crisis is because the government has put themselves in a housing crisis. We put up so much red tape. Uh, the nimbyism has stopped building everywhere. There's cities that actually do not build and so we put ourselves here. So I think the state of California is trying to figure out, hey, we got to do something. And, it, you know, we put ourselves in, in this predicament. Now we got to bail ourselves out. The population of California is dropping. However, we still need homes. 
and with all the red tape and everything that we put in the way, it skyrocketed prices. So I, I'm glad to see something's being done. I'm all for local control, but sometimes you have to say, hey, let some houses come in. So thank you very much for the report. We'll move on to item 9C, please. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the council. Uh, if you recall, earlier this year in June, we presented for council's approval our AB 1600 development impact fee program. As part of that approval, we had some uh, several pieces that we wanted to come back to council uh, for further update. Tonight, uh, Aaron Morris and Josh Montmeyer from our community development department are here to give you an update on one particular component related to the community benefit contribution. Uh, good evening, Mr. Mayor, members of council. I just want to introduce my new assistant director of community development, Josh Montemayor. Uh, he just joined the team about three months ago, and I actually am almost fully staffed as a department now with the hiring of a chief building official as well. So anyway, Josh is doing his first presentation. I will be sitting here next to him. He'll update you on our CBC efforts. Welcome, Josh. Thank you. Good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, and council members. Tonight, I'm giving you uh, an update on the AB 1600 program. So jumping right into it, to quickly recap on what AB 1600 is, it is the basis for requiring development impact fees. And earlier in June, uh, the city council adopted an update to the city's development impact fees. Subsequently, council directed staff to remove the community development contribution and from all existing development agreements with exception to Lagoon Valley. And the reason why the removal of the CBC raises a policy issue is because the CBC was created in 2004, so about 18 years ago, to provide additional funding towards projects that have since then been completed. There are nine development agreements in question as identified by staff and um, in which the CBC can be removed. There are two pathways to this removal and in working with the city attorney's office, staff has identified um, how the first pathway can is much more straightforward, which is an administrative amendment dropping the fee down to $0, and we found that most of the agreements can go down this avenue. However, the second pathway will require some additional work with the statutory amendment. Um, this means a planning commission hearing and two subsequent hearings before the city council. So uh, next steps, currently staff is working with the city attorney's office to determine the pathway best suited for these agreements to remove the CBC. Whether the agreements require an administrative amendment or a statutory amendment, um, staff will bring these agreements back to council and after notifying the affected parties for the removal of the CBC. And that concludes my quick presentation. If you have any questions, I'm happy to entertain them. Awesome report. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad we hired you. Thank you. I'm gonna open up public comment. I'm asking. Sorry. Hi, no Hi. problem. Alicia Minion, I'm asking that council, uh, if it's not too late, do not get rid of the community benefit contribution, the CBCs. Um, this uh, development agreement, such as the one in Southtown that unfortunately was let um, to expire, the 2004 Southtown development agreement, it actually required a CBC fee of 5,800 per unit, including the proposed Southtown apartments for apartments, it was 3,000 per unit, um, and it was subject to a CPI index, so it escalated every year since 2004, so that would bring about 5,000 per unit. So because that development agreement expired, the city lost over a million in revenue and CBC fees because that development agreement was allowed to expire. I've not read the other development agreements, but we're talking about millions of dollars. That CBC fee was supposed to be used for capital improvements. Um, 
community-wide, including the fire station, but for other things. So I know earlier we needed fire trucks. So this CBC fees, you're taking money away for capital improvements that we greatly need that could be used for fire, police, roads, everything. And what bothered me about the staff report, and I'm really sorry, I don't mean to give you a hard time. Welcome, I'm really sorry, but <laughs> I really believe this is a gift of public funds. But when you look at these development agreements, it was negotiated as a package deal. You had all these different fees, and together that's what was negotiated. You remove the CBC fee, you've just given the developer multi-million dollar breaks. None of it is quantified in the staff report. I urge you, vote no on this. And I, don't, I would really like to know how this came about and why you would give the developers this kind of a break. Don't sell yourself short. Developers need to pay for the impacts they make on our community. Please do not negotiate this away. If you do, we must receive something of equal value, of equal value. This is a gift of public funds. We need these, these, this, this money for capital improvements. And so I would appreciate it if everything gets tabled and this just gets forgotten and figure something else out. I don't know why you're doing this. And I thank you for your time. It's a non-action item. Oh, it's a non-action item. Oh, okay. Oh, is it too late then? No. Okay, good. You did great. Okay, oh no, no, I was just warning, is it too late? Don't get rid of the CBC. That's all I'm saying. Okay, thank you. With that, I'm gonna cl close public comment, bring it back to council. Uh, council member Sullivan. Uh, City manager or, or Aaron, can you give some context to why we're removing, I know this has been something in the works for about three or four years. What's the history? What's the context? Why are we doing it? And I guess, I mean, it is a good, interesting question on the particular development agreement that she's talking about. And there was some discussion about this at planning as well, which if you have a further discussion about that at a later meeting when that item comes back up. But what what is the impetus for removing the CBC? I know this has been years in the making. Can you give us the Cliff Notes version of the history and kind of why the rationale was to pull it? Absolutely, and it was this council that received, I wanna say at least five presentations as we brought forward the AB 1600 update. In a nutshell, the city requires developers to pay development impact fees at the time they pull their building permit. And those fees are intended to cover the cost of public facilities, um, particularly capital facilities, transportation, water, sewer, you name it. So our fees at Vacaville prior to June were last updated in 1992. In 2004, in recognition that our fee program did not actually have generate enough funds to build the things we needed to build, the city set up the community benefit contribution and tagged it onto new development. Since 2004, and actually as recently as June of this year, the council has approved an updated fee program for the first time in 30 years, and that fee program includes all the capital projects that are needed going forward, and the new fees are set to gather that money as each developer comes in, they're gonna pay these impact fees, and that money is gonna go to build these capital projects. That is why uh, the report that was brought to you tonight to update you that we're moving forward with the direction you gave us in June focuses on that the CBC is no longer needed because these projects were completed and all the new projects are captured in our new fee program. Thank you very much for the details. Um, we're gonna move on to the next item. But before we do that, I know you're up. I wanted, what, what's the uh, the scout troop number? We have, I just wanted to thank all three of the troops that are here tonight. I hope yet this never happens. This has never been this fast and it might not be, maybe I, I, I'm counting my 
chickens before they roost, I know. <laughs> However, I just wanted to thank you. It's great to see you. I'd love to see you at every meeting. Um, it's exciting to have you guys here. So thank you so much for being here. I hope that IT is pointing the camera at you. Perfect. Thank you very much. And I'll move to reports to city manager. Give me that to follow. Thank you, Mayor. <laughs> um, so just two quick announcements about some community events that I just wanted to share with the community. Our first event is tomorrow. Um, at, it is our community policing forum. Um, from 5.30 to 7.30 at Three Oaks. Um, you can certainly, if you're interested in coming and learning more about um, the inner workings of our police department, uh, please feel free to join us at Three Oaks tomorrow at 5.30 to 7.30. You can go online and register or just simply show up and, and attend. The second event is our third uh, Let's Make a Difference Day. It is uh, this Saturday, the 16th. Uh, we will be out at uh, La Cruz Lane over there by Three Oaks and the Walter Graham Aquatic Center at 7 a.m. in the morning. So if you want to get out and enjoy that wonderful weather that we will be having and um, move some dirt and do some great work for the community, uh, please feel free to join us. So with that, Mayor, I appreciate the time. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, we'll move to item 11, reports to City Council. Council Member Silva. Jake. Yeah. Jake. <laughs> Hey, tell Jake to come back in. I'll move to uh, no, no. Vice Mayor Stockton. No, no, I'm gonna, okay, well, later. Oh, cool. So, uh, oh, Sarah Rothstein, uh, thank you for presenting. Um, so I'll start off with this. I got, well, four items now. Um, so we're, uh, quickly, I'd just like to, so thank you for presenting. Uh, we've been talking about this for several months now. Uh, we do have a, um, a policy in place to approve public art, uh, but we don't have a plan. So that's kind of been the obstacle to, to go through to um, to help fulfill this particular, what you're proposing. Um, I think it's absolutely a phenomenal um, effort of, you know, uh, exemplifies <clears throat> really what, uh, not just scouts, but a lot of young citizens want to and uh, how they want to make an impact in our local community. So I commend you uh, for that. Uh, so uh, city manager, how long would it take to uh, put together an arts advisory council meeting uh, uh, for this art project? So, as you mentioned, there's a variety of different pieces that we have out there. And one of the things that we're looking to present to council and have done recently as part of the ARPA discussion is a comprehensive arts master plan that I think will provide a good framework for going forward with the level of art in, in public places and on private property that I hear this council talking about. Um, and I think it would be wise to get that document going as part of what you're describing with an arts advisory com council commission, whatever, to establish the governance for that sort of thing. In the meantime, however, though, I think that, you know, we can work um, with the scout, uh, Representative Sarah here t tonight, um, working with some of those internal regulations and so forth that we see in that policy and maybe use that as a pilot program as a way to get things started. So we can work with the, the scout to try to accommodate their timing and their needs to get that going. And then I would suggest that we um, come back and as part of the, the ARPA discussion with the arts master plan, build into that conversation about the governance structure because we currently have some governance in place right now that we need to be you know, sensitive or respectful to before we start you know, looking at other forms of, of um, oversight for that particular subject would be my okay. su suggestion. So, um, so this is, uh, thank you, uh, city manager. So this is really for the, what I'm asking the council to do uh, and what I'm motioning is one, number one, uh, due to the time constraints to number one, uh, please allow the continued facilitation uh, and 
feedback and design of painting that particular utility box um, that is at the, the entrance of uh, Andrews Park going down to the creek. Uh, if we need a number or something, we can. Uh, in the past, discussions uh, from February onwards till now have uh, evolved to, is this something we can directly paint or, or wrap and paint the paint, uh, paint the wrap, excuse me. So uh, the motion would include uh, number one approval, or sorry, the motion would be to be bring back to the council since we can't talk about it here, uh, but to bring back to the agenda, number one, to approve the, the painting of either directly the box or a wrap on that particular utility box. Uh, number two, with um, the design that the, the uh, Buckingham Art Club uh, is designing based on feedback. I'm oh, sorry, if I got the term wrong. Art class. Our classes are, are designing based on the feedback that uh, was delivered um, and um, and also on that particular agenda item, uh, if it's okay to have uh, maybe one uh, one or two additional council members just to kind of uh, give the okay uh, to that. If the whatever painting goes on there is contrary to what we may approve in the future as far as the art plan, um, I'll take full accountability to that to remediate that. Um, likewise, if this painting isn't sufficient to our community standards, I'm like, I'll take full accountability for that and uh, pay out of the um, out of my personal funds uh, to remediate it. So uh, that's my motion. Do we need a motion for that? <laughs> and so the so uh, and I'm I'm going to be very you know blunt. Uh, we've been trying to address this since early February, so that's why I'm being very specific to this. Um, uh, Sarah ages out in January so and we've been we've been you know trying to go through the system since February uh, and so if she ages out that's it there's uh, Jacob how many Jacobs are most one of our most recent Eagle Scouts right. um, so he he helped put in uh, he led the ability to put in this uh, monarch uh, way station out by the, the south entrance of the Rocky Hill Trail it looks beautiful so I wanted to make sure I honored you so thanks for coming back in um, Sarah, she has a limited time again to fulfill her, so she ages out. So that's why I'm being specific, because I'm not trying to. Uh, she has a target date of what day? The paint. So October 14 to 17. So I'm hoping that um, put on the agenda officially gets us to have council approval to make sure she can complete uh, what is not only a rare a rarity for any scout to earn it, but more or less a female, a young lady to earn Eagle Scout. In the interest of making sure that you're all on board with this, we'll bring it back to you at the next meeting so that you can support the design right, and, and move forward with it. Okay. What's your thank you. three other? Yeah. Um, awesome. So that was, it was thanking Jacob. So that was uh, sorry. That's your two minutes of fame, but <laughs> 15 seconds of fame. No, but really, uh, I'm really proud of him. So he's he's been phenomenal. I appreciate your contributions to the community too. Um, also, want to thank uh, uh, Parks and Rec. Uh, particularly our lifeguards and those that help out the concession stands at the, at the pool. Uh, Labor Day weekend was hot with a double T. And uh, and uh, it was, you know, I went out there uh, both days late the first day and it was warm. Um, the, I got to give it to whoever's trained those lifeguards and, those, and the lifeguards themselves. They, you know, I'm trying to like, you know, have a nice little talk with them. They are 100% focused on making sure the public safety out there. I, I, was, I was extremely impressed with the maturity and all that. Um, what I would ask uh, staff is, um, so just to let everybody know, so over those Sunday, Monday, my understanding is a little bit over 1,100 uh, citizens actually were able to participate 
in that. So just to clarify uh, from the district dollar funds, we uh, what, are, uh, what we allocated was to make sure that no one had to pay to access that, but also uh, because they're extended days, that also included paying salaries. So the total cost of this uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday was around, or the, the upwards to $13,000. Um, just, um, you know, uh, relatively quite a bit for the district fund, but, you know, I, I felt it was worth it. So, uh, but what I would ask is, uh, number one, for staff to do a survey of those who participated to get their feedback if that's something that we should continue. Um, you know, if it's too hot, I totally understand and respect that. Absolutely, we should not force anybody to, to uh, be in that environment. Um, the citizens absolutely, um, you know, obviously appreciated us. They wouldn't have been out there. Uh, and then number two, uh, to bring back to council or in our next budget, if we should actually account for budgeting uh, to allow access for these extreme hot days um, uh, to cover the cost for that. So that's just a thank you uh, for that. Also wanna thank public safety. They wear a lot of heavy gear. They were running calls um, all weekend as well. Um, and so I know that can be a, a big strain on um, their, their health and their well-being. So I, I really wanna extend uh, my appreciation to everybody uh, was able to work, had to work through that heat. Um, last item is uh, just a notice to the community. Um, mark on your calendars starting Friday evening up until Sunday evening, there's a jazz, fest jazz festival. So that'll be occurring downtown Vacaville, uh, Saturday, Sunday, uh, between downtown Vacaville, but more so uh, Nutri uh, Plaza. So hope to see you guys out there and um, hoping that helps bring the community together. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Vice Mayor Stockton. Yes, thank you. Um, just to build upon uh, Council Member uh, Silva's remarks regarding these murals, I think all of our parks and the utility utility boxes within the park specifically, I think be, it might be worth looking into seeing if more of the members of our community and our youth can get involved in decorating those spaces. It seems to be a fun place where they're going to be anyway. So um, that being said, um, parks have always been really, you know, we were, we're all really excited to do things with our parks. Um, I wanted to thank George Ann Mager-Smith and Rika Guidry um, that are helping with some of the district dollar programs. Um, we're going to add a backstop to Cordero's Park, a, a baseball backstop. And um, I would also, um, we're also going to add some cameras, um, not, not at Cordero's, but throughout District 1 and throughout Vacaville. So I wanted to thank the police department. I wanted to thank them. Um, for their hard work and, and helping us kind of add some of these little amenities that are keeping our citizens safe and making sure that they're having fun at the park. So, Council Member Sullivan. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, a couple quick things. I want to thank uh, Nemo and Reggie in the back there today uh, for coming out to Sierra Vista a couple weeks back. Super, super hot. Um, we are doing one of the three redevelopment projects for the parks out there. Sierra Vista Park is getting a, a big, fancy huge remodel. So uh, the, the team was out there with uh, big butcher boards and stickers, and we let the kids actually crowdsource the design for the playgrounds, which was really fun. Um, so thank you guys for braving the heat and getting creative. Um, hoping we could stub that splash pad at the park. I know we can't get a splash pad yet, but at least stub it so it's ready. And at some point in time, I might bring back the possibility of renaming the park to something else too. One of the kids recommended Grizzly Park because it's the Grizzlies at Sierra Vista and it's just called Sierra Vista Park now, which is pretty boring. So just wanted to thank you guys for coming out. It was a really fun way to have the kids design the park. I don't know how much participation we got, but it was probably in the hundreds um, and it was a lot of fun. So thank you for braving the heat and doing that. Uh, big shout out to Brian and the, I know it's mostly contractors, I think, but the, the slurry seal program looks fantastic. Um, we've had some really, really bad streets, especially in, in district four on Bowline in particular, lots of resident complaints. It looks phenomenal. I think they're getting ready to stripe and paint. So big kudos to the team, big kudos to the contractors, uh, district four streets, 
look great. Um, and so uh, just really appreciative of getting that done. And uh, you guys got quite a bit done uh, over the last couple of weeks. So thank you so much for doing that and fielding a bunch of weird left field emails. And I think Brian, I've got him on speed dial. Poor guy's gotten, I think like 20 emails from me in the last four or five days. Um, the last thing, or one thing, I, a quick question I had from Silva's comment, does, and Reggie, you might have an answer to this, I don't need you up the dais, but does the scholarships program apply to pool tuition or pool fees? Like, could we use the scholarship funding for kids to actually get into the pool for free? No, could that could that be looked at or included at maybe a later date? Okay, because maybe that would satisfy some of what Councilmember Silva was looking at as well, and I think that'd be a nice add-on to that program if that's a possibility. And then the last, uh, item I want to bring up maybe for a later discussion with council. Um, I will obviously be leaving in December. Um, really have worked hard on the homelessness front here in Vacaville for the last couple of years. Uh, we finally have an executive commission on homelessness with two members from this council as well as two from every city in Solano, two board members. It's been pretty amazing. We actually approved, uh, I believe, a big part of the contract tonight on consent. Um, I'm hoping one of you guys will step up and take my seat. I think Roy, the uh, vice mayor, will probably take the primary seat, which would be great, but really hoping one of you guys is interested in it. Maybe a later meeting we can agendize who that could be or couldn't be. Um, I'll, I'll probably have one or two meetings left. I'm hoping someone will carry that torch. So those are the big updates that I wanted to put out there. And uh, hopefully one of you guys will jump at the, the backup chair for the, the homeless two by two. And that's all I got. Thanks. Thank you, Councilmember Wiley. Yes, I want to say thanks to the Boy Scouts who are here tonight. Um, it's great for your work, and also it's nice to see young women also being involved. I met here uh, about a month ago with a young man who was working on his merit badge for government, and we talked about city council and what it was like to be, you know, in the chamber. So I thought that was a, I really enjoyed doing that. Another thing that I did this week with. Uh, involve young people and also old people was the Horse Creek soccer team uh, facility because they opened their new field and they said that the young kids like six and under get to play in the new field because they're lighter and they're they won't tear it up right away and then they just had so many other fields and they said that there's adult soccer league too and there were about 1300 participants um, that you use that. My kids were band kids, so we didn't do soccer, but it was a nice facility. And there were city staff there too from Parks and Rec, so it was nice to be able to see that. Um, I also took a little trip to the fire station a week ago and got to see the equipment close up, uh, even road in the fire truck. And But it was really nice to see all the ways that they keep us protected. And um, I saw the different kinds of fire trucks, so that was a nice, interesting visit and last is the police audit that the city manager mentioned i have a lot of community members that are interested in attending so i'm really glad that we are you know making that public and having that accessible so people are interested in attending that as well so that was what i had for tonight great thank you council member richie <clears throat> well first and foremost i want to kind of piggyback on something so said but you, you, checklist is very good um, when I came in and saw the whole room full of uh, scouts, it really made me smile. Um, I just really want to applaud the speech you did and how you articulate yourself at the dais. It was amazing. Um, and I, I am a fellow, uh, one, of, one of those Cub Scouts. I started, I just remember when I saw that, I was packed 497, and I started out with the whole process, a little the Cub Scouts, we below, boys, and my, I made a Boy Scout. And at the arrow light, I, I was done. So, but um, it's just what it takes for you guys to go to school and have the commitment to stick to it 
and all the activities you do, it, it, it teaches so much for the youth. And it just it made me really proud to see all this many kids that are just continuing that journey of like really just kind of teamwork and find a higher purpose to serve. Um, so I really applaud what you guys are doing. Um, second thing is not so fun, but um, um, I was actually at my friend's yesterday. I went over to borrow a tool and it kind of spiraled a conversation about he's an IT, IT guy at Kaiser and he had a big Ford F-250 outside and just had the exhaust cut out. And this happened in the parking lot of Kaiser. He's like, Greg, you have no idea. Kaiser doesn't tell people how often this happens, but we're seeing a huge amount of people that are still in Cali converters. So people go in the parking lot of Kaiser because they know they're gonna be there for a long time, just like the movies, and they are cutting Cali converters at a alarming rate of the city, the vehicles for Kaiser, um, people's vehicles in the parking lot. It's happening all over. I reached out to an officer, as he reached out to me, um, we had kind of common interest. He gave me a lot of data, it was alarming. You know, it's, he's a great, insurance covered it, but it costs $5,000 to place that 4250 converter. I mean, a felony is five, a felony is $500 or more. I mean, it's way above beyond. If someone's not pop, properly covered, they're out. I mean, that can bankrupt them. They, if they go outside and turn the car on, and it sounds like a dragster, they can't go to work that day. Like, that could have a kind of butterfly effect in their life if they can't drive the car for a few days because the Cal converter might take five weeks to get shifted out to them. Now they're out of work, and that one event can really destroy someone's life. It sounds simple and like weird, but it's really happening. So I just want to make a, find a way to agendize that vacuole. Like, listen, you get caught, and a Prop 47 has made a lot of things kind of slap on the wrist. You can do a lot of stuff now and get away with it. But in, in Vacaville, I want people to understand, like, you do the, you do the crime, you're going to pay the, pay, pay the time. I mean, you can't go around and just lawlessly steal people's cow converters and affect their ability to provide for families. Um, by not having a vehicle here to work because you want to make a cheap buck. So if there's a way for us to really start clawing back some of the, the lawlessness and, and the rules that have kind of gone awry. Our, our, our state's one thing, but we control our city. So I think it's kind of like enough's enough. We kind of can step up and find a way to start uh, making crimes kind of punishable. Thank you. Council Member Roberts. Yeah, two things. Uh, another event going on this week, uh, Friday, the Veterans Hall is putting on the POW MIA Memorial right outside City Hall here, I believe at 9.30 Friday morning. Uh, they'd love to see a lot of attendance from the community. Um, second one, a lot, of, a lot of scout stuff going on today. Uh, so I was actually with some Cub Scouts last night, and they expressed interest in possibly coming in and doing the Pledge of Allegiance from time to time. That would be fantastic. So I told them I'd coordinate with the Marin City Manager on when, what dates he can come in and come on down yeah we'll make it happen yep that's all i had for today thank you fantastic uh council member or vice mayor stockton you've already spoke so i'll let you speak now real quick i just wanted to thank the city manager at our last meeting um i mentioned some of the concerns that i have regarding city staffing in virtually every single department here and how much we value each and every single one of you the city manager has been very receptive. We continue to meet and, and talk about ways that we can help you. And I hope that in the very near future, we'll, we'll have something on the agenda to um, hopefully offer 
the tools that uh, Jessica needs to, to help help us all out. So I just want to thank the city manager for all of his assistance with that. Perfect, thank you. And seeing no other comments from the city council, I just wanted to say one thing before we adjourn to closed session. Uh, I'm very, very proud of uh, one of my colleagues up here tonight. Uh, Councilmember Silva is now a Trojan, I believe. And on top of his full-time job, on top of this full-time job that we sit up here and do, uh, he's going back to school to advance his education. So congratulations, that was great to see. And good luck to you. And, and I'll give you a scholarship. <laughs> and with that, we're going to move to item 12, closed session. There will be nothing to report out. Good night, Vacaville.